Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Listen, we are so grateful that you're here this morning. If you're a first-time guest or you were dragged here for some reason, uh, we're really grateful that you're here. Matter of fact, we've been expecting you, and we just like to say welcome home. Uh, we're so grateful that you're here. Would you open up to John chapter 21? John chapter 21, we've been in a series entitled Game Over, and we've actually extended the series out a couple extra weeks than normal, um, but it's just been so good. We've been having so much fun uh, John chapter 21 today, starting in verse 6. Start, I'm sorry, starting in verse 15. Verse 15 says this. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And then a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was kind of hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, Peter, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death by which he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. <laughs> You're going to die, buddy. Follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind uh, them the disciple Jesus loved, which was John. Uh, John always referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, always in the third person. And, uh, and he said, uh, Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter asked Jesus, what about him? What about John? And Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, you follow me. I want to speak to you today for a couple of minutes uh, around this idea of game over part two of comparison. And I titled it Tug of War. Tug of War. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would come, Holy Spirit, quicken our hearts and minds. Help us to see you clearly today, Jesus. Help us to fall more in love with you. And, God, I thank you uh, for all of the dads. Lord, we honor and we worship and we praise you, but we celebrate all of the dads here in this place. Pray an extra blessing on them this morning. Uh, but, Lord, I know that our roles are important, so open up our hearts to really hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I, I want to take you way back. Um, to, to the 1800s, there was a, a man by the name of Alfonso XII. He was a king over Spain. Now, he was traveling through France uh, on one particular occasion, and people started to make fun of him. They started to, as we would say, clown him and disrespect him. And so word got back to this little town of 300 that he was from called Lahar. And when the town heard that these guys had disrespected their king... They declared war on France, which was a little bit humorous because France at the time was, you know, the world's superpower. And these guys were a village of about 300. But they declared war on France because nobody is ever going to disrespect our king like that. 
Well, this war lasted for 98 years. 98 years. Now, they finally called a truce, and it was kind of a silly war because there were no victories, there were no casualties. It was just a lot of bitterness, a lot of resentment. And I started to think, it's kind of a funny story, but I think it speaks a lot to the human condition. And I think it speaks to this reality that we're all prone to conflict. Matter of fact, we all feel a tug many times towards conflict. We, we feel this sense of pressure and tension constantly pulling on us. It's, it's, it's this tug of war that we face. And there, there are many areas of conflict that we find ourselves tugging back and forth in. However, there's one today that I think may seem very small, but it's one that can last a lot of years. It's one that some manifest as little children and it carries out through their entire life. And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. It's this conflict of comparison. And it doesn't seem like it's, it's really that bad. But as we talked about last week, comparison is it's very dangerous because it doesn't last long. Last week we said that there's always somebody with a bigger-er, right? Somebody's smarter, somebody's prettier, somebody's skinnier, somebody's a better preacher, right? And the list goes on. <laughs> somebody said, no, you're sweet, you're sweet. <laughs> um, but, but the truth is that conflict is dangerous. It's, it's extremely dangerous. As small as it may seem, this conflict of comparison can really ruin everything. And so last week we declared that we cannot live a life continuously in this conflict of comparison. So we declared game over last week on comparison. No more. Now, it's interesting to me how subtle this is, especially in our day. I mean, really think about it. Just, just on your Sunday morning, how we can get caught in this trap. Wake up in the morning, maybe some of you guys, you know, grab the paper or, or do we grab papers anymore? Uh, you turn on the TV, maybe you're watching the news, and, and you're only, only to see that you're hit with several ads of marketers telling you everything you don't have and what you really need to experience joy, to experience life to the fullness. So you get a little bit sick and tired of that, so you turn off the TV, then you scroll on social media and you see everybody's highlight reel. Right? Every family looks perfect. Everybody's having a great time. People are on vacation. And you start to ask these questions. I wonder what life would be like if I could live in that space. I wonder what life would be like if I could, if I could have some of those things. And you kind of brush it off and you're on your way to church. You jump in the car and you're at the stoplight and a car pulls up next to you. Um, that's far grander and better than your car. And you start to wonder, I wonder what it would be like to to drive that thing. I wonder what it would be like to have that. And then you drive through a neighborhood and the houses are all bigger than yours and, and you're looking and you're just like, man, I wonder what they do. I wonder how in the world they got that house. Boy, life would sure be amazing if we could have that house. And then you pull into church and everybody looks saved. Everybody looks like, everybody looks like things are going well and you're just wondering, man, what is wrong with me? Everybody looks okay. Wonder what life would be like if I could just be a spiritual or, you know, as, as, as joyous as some of these people are. And then there's the opposite. Maybe you woke up this morning and you're feeling great today. You turn on that TV, you said, I got that. Yep, check. Got that. 
Yeah, what else, TV? Yep, I got that too. Right, you, you get into your car this morning, big boy, and you, you pull up next to somebody who has a little lesser car than you, right? And you're looking at them like, it feels so good to be me today. Such a good day. And, and, and you, don't, you don't need to do social media in the morning because it's connected to your vehicle. So you're posting, you know, stuff in the car. You're doing a little video to let everybody know how awesome you are. And uh, it's a great day. You pull into church. You got the biggest Bible, right? Everything is highlighted. You got a smile on your face. Surely if everybody could just be like me, too bad for you. I'm doing great today. Now, now here's the reality. Is both of those scenarios lead to emptiness. You see, there's nothing wrong with having those things. There's nothing wrong with even desiring those things. But the problem is, is when those things start to have us and those things start to define us, our worth, our value, that's where things start to become really unhealthy. That's where things start to get a little costly. And like we said last week, that comparison will cost you. It will cost you. It will, it will cost you your health. It will cost you your peace. It will cost you your money. It will cost you your integrity. It will cost you several things, your joy, your security, your contentment. Comparison will cost you all of these things. Matter of fact, I heard somebody say it like this. Somebody said, because of this comparison act, many times we spend the first half of our life spending, uh, uh, forfeiting our health to gain a ton of money. And then we spend the last half of our life forfeiting all of our money to try to get our health back. It's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. And comparison will cost us a lot of things, but there's two things that I want to lean in today. There's two things that it will cost us, and if we're not careful, everything else flows out of these two things. It's going to cost you internally, and it's going to cost you externally. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, comparison will rob your contentment. It'll rob your contentment. Come on, when you, when you step into a room and you see everybody that you feel is better than you, instantly you feel inferior and insecure. Like it, it can ruin the whole day. It can ruin the whole event. Instantly. And then every time you see them, they're a trigger of you just don't have what it takes. And so then you get super frustrated and you jump on the proverbial treadmill and you try really, really hard to be like them or to, and, and this may sound kiddie and childish, but we just church it up very well as adults. Like th- this, is, this is not child's play, as we're going to learn in, in a while. This is very demonic. And, and so, so this, this is what happens. We just start comparing ourselves to other people and we're trying to live up to this and then we just get drained and fried. And then if you're on the opposite and you see yourself as better than everybody else, maybe you're in one of those seasons, it doesn't get any better because it just leads you to judgment and pride. One leads to insecurity and inferiority, and the other one leads to judgment and to pride. They're both empty. And in neither one of those will you find true contentment. It'll rob your contentment. It'll rob your soul on the inside. Secondly, it'll rob you on the, on the outside. It'll start to affect your relationships. Why? Because if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Comparison will rob your compassion. Jesus has called us to live these lives as followers of Christ, right? These sacrificial lives. Like, come on, dads. Come on, husbands. We're supposed to lay our lives down for our wives as Christ did the church, for our families, for our friends, for our neighbors. But how in the world can we do that when we're always trying to one-up somebody to feel worthy? 
We're not going to lay our lives down for somebody we're trying to one-up. Matter of fact, we end up despising those people because it feels like we can never catch them. Frustrated. Like, oh, I don't even like you. Why? I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it just, it begins to, to rob us. And then if you think you're better than everybody else, you, you, you can't lay your life down for those you despise. You can't lay your life down for those that you're looking down upon. Because I, why even waste my time? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm up here. Comparison will rob your compassion. This is so serious because a lot of us were in this fight and we don't, we're in this tug of war and we don't even know it. It's just become the routine. It's just become the way we live. When we feel like we're in a season that's better than everybody else, we're feeling great. We think we have contentment, but we really don't because we're slaves to the things that, that, that are, you know, reputations and things that we've put our trust in. And so we can't really even enjoy them because we're dependent on them for our contentment. But on the very same time, some of us walk around with so much insecurity, inferiority, just wishing that God had created you to be somebody else. And we don't even recognize it. And it seems so subtle. It seems so small. Like, come on, Pastor Matt, like when you tell us to get along today on Father's Day, like is that, is that, is that the, the message? <laughs> you basically... Because James, James seems to think this is really serious. Look what James says. James says it like this. James says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Demonic. Like James says, this stuff is wicked. He goes on to say, he says, for wherever you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Can I just say, unfortunately, this happens just as much in the church as it does outside of the church. The church just churches, churches it up to make it look religious. But with the same wicked spirit that's driving and motivating it. Evil practices of all kind. Like, like people are just... They'll step on anybody to get ahead these days. I mean, our marketing is based on slander, right? Like, I don't know if you guys heard, but, but IHOP is changing to IHOB. No longer International House of Pancakes. It's going to be International House of Burgers. That's what I said. Stay in your lane, right? But they're looking outside to everybody that's moving towards burgers. Everybody's moving towards burgers. And so, but listen, whether they're comparing themselves and they're trying to, you know, gain more market stuff, that, that's between them and God. But look how people have responded. Look how people have responded. Look what Wendy's had to say. Oh, we're not really afraid of burgers from a place that decided pancakes were too hard. Hey, and then Moon Pie chips in and says, Wendy's, this is so good. And then if you scroll down a little bit more, Moon Pie said, yeah, I think we're going to stick with our name, Moon Pie, right? Just roasting IHOP. But this is, how, this is how we do it. Bill Gates told GM, they said, GM, if you're... If your technology advanced as much as our computers did, we'd be driving cars that cost $25, getting 1,000 miles a gallon. 
Jesus, Jesus are a thousand miles per, per tank. GM replied, they said, yes, but I don't think you want your car crashing two times a day. Right? We just, we just got this tug of war. It's, it's all around us. Here's the crazy thing is we all can laugh in regards to that. But a lot of these practices are happening in our heart at much deeper levels. At much deeper levels. It's a part of our culture today. And James says it's demonic. It's going to hurt people. I look at my kids sometimes. And I, you know, I was always told, oh, you know, the comparison thing is just normal. I'm like, no, this stuff's demonic. Get over here, kids. Like, let's pray. It was funny. I was in the car. Yesterday, and Abby, Abby said, Daddy, do you love me more than Abby or more than Oli and Hannah? I said, no, baby, I love you the same. She says, no, you don't. You love me more. <laughs> what do you do with these kids? Stuff is real. And so, so the, question, the question begs is, is what in the world do we do when we find ourselves in a tug-of-war of comparison? Well, Peter helped us out last week when it came to um, comparing our present of what God wants to do in our present to what's happened in the past. A lot of times we can't move forward in what Jesus wants to do now because we're still stuck in what happened to us then. And God wants us to move forward. But today I, I want to lean into um, Peter's struggle. See, we learned from Peter's strength last week. He made a great decision, but Peter didn't always make great decisions. If you don't know who Peter is, maybe this is your first time to church or you're new to this whole ex experience. Peter was one of Jesus' right-hand disciples. Um, he was part of that inner core. This guy was passionate about Jesus. We said Peter was like the Draymond Green of uh, the Warriors, right? A lot of passion, you know, fouls up once in a while, um, but just a great guy. And, uh, and he was so passionate, a lot of times he, he made decisions before thinking. And, and there were right motives and intentions, but he still had to suffer a lot of those consequences. And, and one of the things that Peter struggled with was this comparison, not simply to past. He, he did pretty good on that one. But he struggled a lot with this comparison towards people. He, he struggled with this, the, this inferiority and the, these insecurities, these fears that, that kind of gripped him. Let me just tell you a little bit about Peter uh, and, and his tug of war with comparison. Peter found himself amongst the disciples at one point. They were all battling of who was the greatest disciple. Who's the greatest among us? And they're all wrestling and comparing one another. And Peter was part of that conversation. And, and, and he was part of another conversation that took place uh, at the Passover meal. Uh, Jesus is getting ready to be crucified. Jesus says, one of you guys is going to betray me at the table. And, and Peter was like, not me. I refuse to be like any of these other disciples that might fall away. But I will never betray you. Matter of fact, he was so passionate about his commitment. He made sure that everybody in that room knew, not a chance, Jesus. My commitment is solid. My commitment is firm. The problem is, is comparison is fragile. It's really fragile. And so despite Peter's intimacy and proximity to Jesus, when a 15-year-old, when a teenage girl challenged Peter of being one of Jesus' followers, Peter denied him. You see, it was, it was a night where Jesus was, was taken away. He's on his way to trials and be crucified, and Peter trailed behind. The rest of the disciples scattered and it was in a courtyard by a fire. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's wondering what's going on. And this, this little servant girl approaches Peter and says, hey, you're a Galilean, aren't you? He says, man, I, what are you talking about? How do you, I don't even know that guy. 
Then another servant girl said, yeah, 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 your accent gives you away, bro. You're one of those guys. And he, and he says, man, I swear. I tell you, he took an oath. I don't even know the man. And then some people got around, and they said, oh, yeah. Hey, you're, you're one of those Galileans. And then he started to curse. He called curses, curses upon himself. I don't even know the guy. Like, basically, may I be cursed if I did. And it says in that moment that Jesus looked at Peter. And you could imagine how Peter felt. Here's this, this passionate guy. His commitment is solid. It completely faltered and fumbled. It says that Peter was gripped to the heart so much, so much guilt, so much shame. It says that he wept bitterly. And then he went back to the Sea of Galilee because Peter was a fisherman before he was fishing for men. And he went back and he took up his nets and he went back to the Sea of Galilee. Well, long story short, fast forward, Jesus is crucified, risen from the dead. Peter's in this limbo place. And Jesus shows up on the shore of the Sea of Galilee one more time as, as Peter and his boys are out there fishing and had caught nothing. It, it was kind of like a deja vu. They're out there and they caught nothing. Can I just tell you that, like I said, comparison will always lead to emptiness. Why? Because it leads to a false identity. God never called Peter to be on that boat. That's not who Peter was anymore. But here Peter was and they didn't catch a thing. So Jesus in his humor, he said, hey, friends, you guys catch anything? No, man, it's a rough night. Why don't you try throwing the nets on the right side? And they threw their nets on the right side, and they ended up catching 153, the Bible is very specific, large fish filled the boat. And just as Jesus was encouraging them to throw their nets on the right side of the boat, Jesus is trying to get Peter on the right side of life once again. And as soon as Peter recognizes Jesus, many scholars debate why he jumped in so quick. He jumped in fully clothed to the water and began to swim to the shore. I think it was a combination of both, excitement, passion. But I think there was also this deep regret inside of Peter. But I started to think maybe he wanted to get to the shore before all the boys did so he could say, hey, Jesus, about this denial thing. Like, they can't know about it, right? I don't want anybody else to know just so we can work this out. I don't know. It's all speculation. But nevertheless, they're now on a beach by a fire. They end up having breakfast. And then Jesus and Peter have this dialogue. And this is what it says. John chapter 21. Go there with me if you would. It says this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, this is another debatable text. Some scholars believe Jesus is talking about the fish, which is more probable. Others say maybe he's talking about the other disciples because Peter was constantly comparing himself. But either way, if, if it was the fish, it would be almost as if, hey, Pete, um, I know you feel really horrible about yourself right now. And this whole comparison deal, when you feel like you're on the bottom, you're going to always resort back to what is familiar. Because at least as a fisherman, you're good at it. You could try to find some worth. You could try to find some value in what you do. You can put on a decent performance. But do you love me more than that reputation, Peter? Do you love me more than these? Maybe it was the disciples and maybe... Jesus was saying, hey, Pete, you love to compare yourself to the disciples. What if they all fall away? You still follow me? You love to compare yourself to the disciples. You said that you would never desert me, and you kind of did. Do you love me, Peter? 
more than these guys? Do you really love me more than these guys? And Peter's response, he says, yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. And he continues, and look what he says. Three times, Jesus, Peter denied him three times in a courtyard by a fire. And now Jesus is wanting to gently restore him by a fire on the beach. And it says, again, Jesus said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, okay, we'll take care of my sheep. And he says one more time. He says, on the third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, like, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. Like, you're sovereign. You know what's in my heart. I know who you are. And you're alive. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. It's interesting in this point that Jesus is, he knows the cure for comparison. And what Peter's encountering in this moment is one of the stubborn characteristics of Christ is his relentless love and pursuit for you and I in the midst of all the craziness. You see, comparison always leads to a false identity. And false, listen, false identity will always lead you to places of comfort even though you're forfeiting your call. And in the midst of that, Jesus said, no, 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 you're way, you're way too valuable for that, Peter. I, there's no way. I'm not going to let you settle for average when amazing is available. I'm not going to let you do that. That's one of our values here, by the way. I'm not going to let you settle for average. And so Jesus, in those moments, when you and I find ourselves in comparison, when you and I find ourselves identifying our lives with things that can't really do the job, he comes pursuing us relentlessly. We sing a worship song about that. It's true. And he calls us back despite, I mean, get this picture. He calls us back to himself. He calls Peter back to himself. When Jesus has a lot going on right now, I mean, the, he just rose from the dead. He's got limited amount of time to establish the church. You know, get it, have a staff meeting before he goes, cast some vision. And, and then he's got to ascend to, you know, he's got to ascend into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. I mean, he's got a lot going on. But in the midst of all of this, he takes time to meet Pete in his tug of war. He takes time to meet Pete in the tension. And he says, man, I got to call you back to myself. I'm calling your identity back to me and your calling because, Peter, I know one thing, that it's only in me that you're going to really understand who you are and what I've called you to. It's only in that relationship. It's only in that connectivity. Anything outside of that, you will be settling for average. And so he began to redirect Peter's heart and his mind back to him. Peter, it's about this love relationship, man. Who you are flows from this right here. And if you're not solid in who you are, you'll never be able to step into what I've called you to. I didn't call you to be a fisherman. I called you to be a shepherd. And notice how Jesus doesn't scold him. Hey, do you love me, Peter? Why don't you stop denying me, bro? Three times? Really? Dude, and you called curses down? Was it that bad? Hey, Peter. 
Why don't you be a little more stronger, would you? Get your man card, dude. <laughs> All right? Like, come on. Like, but that's not what he does. He simply calls him back to who he's called him to be and what he's called him to do. And so I, I was thinking, what switched in Peter's heart? Like, what was Jesus doing in, in this moment? He was simply redirecting his thinking. He's like, Peter, man, you, you got it all wrong. And if you're taking notes, I think we can learn something here. As Jesus understands the cure for comparison, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down or take a picture of it. Is that we simply, in this struggle of comparison, need to think less about the world wants you to be. I know this sounds kind of cliche, but the world has plans for you. The enemy has plans for you. And the enemy is going to do whatever he can to distract your thoughts around what the world says you're not and what the world says you should be. Listen, so you can get caught up in this as a pastor. Like none of us are exempt from this. But we need to think less about that. You're never going to be able to get away from this tug of war, ladies and gentlemen. There's always going to be the tension. But the question is, are you going to pick up the rope? Are, are you going to participate? It's going to be a lot harder to participate when you're thinking less about what the world wants you to be. And you're dwelling and you're thinking more about who Christ has called you to be. Because can I just tell you, who you are, your calling will flow from who you are. Like you'll never be able to fulfill all that God has called you to do if you're a disaster on the inside. And I'm telling you, man, it, comparison will rob your contentment. It will rob your soul. One of the things I love about Jesus is he was always focused on the reality of heaven. He said, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was more concerned about heaven defining things on earth than earth trying to define things that only heaven can provide. And that's where we live in this dichotomy. We live in this opposite kind of construct where the world is promising to provide things that only heaven can. But in order to tap into that, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. In order to tap into that, we're going to have to stop looking at people and things to give us what only God can supply. Listen, such a simple truth, but we do this all the time. It comes out in our relationships. It comes out in the way dads, the way we treat our kids. It comes out in everything we do because we just think that people and things are going to solve it. Now, God has given us people. God has given us things. They're not bad or wicked. But when those things become everything that they were never supposed to be, it becomes super unhealthy because only, there's some things that only God can supply. Your identity and your call, only he knows why he made you, ladies and gentlemen. Like you can wrestle through life trying to figure it out on your own. Good luck. He knows you better than you know yourself. Only he can do that. And, and so, 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 so what is he after? Like why pursue Peter like this? What is, what is Christ after? I believe he's after two things. He's after his glory. And he's after your good. Look what he says in this. Galatians chapter 6. He says, pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. You know, a lot of times the reason why we can't celebrate other people's wins 
it because, is because we haven't clearly defined ours. A lot of times we can't celebrate others, other people winning because we haven't clar- clarified what God has called us to do. Because if we're secure in what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be, we can celebrate everybody. All right, let, me, let me give you one of my wins. One of my, one of my wins is to be a better pastor at home than I am at church. And so that means, what does that mean? In this season of my life, I, I, I can't go to every conference. You know, I can't accept every speaking engagement because I have little ones. I have friends that are traveling the world. And I can celebrate that because in this season of their life, man, it allows for them to do that. But I'm running my race. And I know what God has called me to do, and I know the win that God has put before me. And so Peter finally, he begins to catch this, and we see a brand new Peter. As he begins to yield and submit his life to Jesus, we see a brand new Peter in, throughout the entire rest of the New Testament. We see him going from this driven kind of a fisherman to this, this compassionate shepherd. We see, we see him going from just wrestling in this war to, to a sense of peace and security. Probably the most courage he's ever had. Declaring to the very people that crucified Jesus boldly, courageously. Stop speaking in his name. Beforehand, Peter said, I don't know the man. Now Peter says, shall we deny what we have seen and heard? I'm sorry, I can't do that. Matter of fact, in the Mamertine prison, you'll find kind of a a little monument, if you would, of the reality. Tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down because he, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Turn me upside down. Completely different Peter. Compassionate. Super harsh before. Now he's like, man, listen, silver and gold I do not have to a beggar at the gate of beautiful. But what I do have, let me give that to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. It's a brand new Peter. Why? Because he stopped looking to people and things for something that only God can supply. So much so, look what Peter says in one of his, his epistles. He says it like this. Go ahead to 1 Peter for me. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of evil kind. This is what Peter used to struggle with. Now he's saying, guys, it's not worth it. It doesn't work. Let it go. Let it go. But it's so funny. There's this, this beautiful moment of Peter being restored. But I think it speaks to this constant reality is we're never going to fully be able to ignore or evade this reality of comparison because Jesus is having this moment with Peter. I love you. Jesus, Peter, Jesus said, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, you're going to die. They're going to crucify you. And John is there. And in this moment of sweet restoration, what does Peter do? He slips right back. What about John? He's going to have to be crucified like that? Right? Look what Peter says. He says this. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. In other words, what Jesus was saying, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down, is this. Is that what does it matter to you if you're focused on what matters most? Jesus just simply readjusted Peter. Peter, stop it. You Follow me. Run your race, Pete. You're not running John's race. If I want him to remain, come on. 
What is that to you? If you're focused on what matters most. And I think in this moment, what we discover, ladies and gentlemen, is that if we're going to declare game over on comparison, we have to begin to declare truth over our identity and our call. And so today, men, I didn't come to give you a, a, a teaching on a man card, as the world would define. I don't think that's where it starts. I don't think that's where real manhood begins. And this speaks to the ladies about what I'm going to say just as well. But just to the men, if I could just speak to you for a moment. What is a man card? As the world defines, that's not where a man card begins. That's why today I'm not going to give you a man card. I'm going to give you an I am card. Because that's where it begins. Let me show you on the screen. I'm going to give you some declarations that you can begin to declare over your life every day, ladies and gentlemen, that if we're going to start to declare war on comparison, we, we have to think less, think less about what the world says we should be, how the world thinks we should be, or what the world says that we're not. And we have to start thinking more about who Christ says that we are. And so, so on this, it's, it's I am God's child. You need to de declare the truth of God's word over your life. I am a disciple. I am a friend of Jesus. Let this scripture permeate your heart on a daily basis. I am a member of Christ's body. I have been chosen by God and adopted as his adopted child. I am accepted by the blood of Jesus as we sang about today. And I'm also secure. I'm free from condemnation. I'm assured that God works for my good in all circumstances. I am free from any condemnation brought against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. These are promises to us as followers of Jesus. And as you leave today, you're going to get one of these cards. And on the back of that card, it's going to have another category that says, I'm significant. And then I left one blank that says, I am blank. Because I believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak something to you that you need to fill in, that you can look at every single day of the reality of truth that would combat this tug of war that we find ourselves in, even amongst family, amongst marriages, amongst kids, amongst our church, church body. Ladies and gentlemen, we have declared officially today and last week in this house, game over on comparison. In Jesus' name.